This is OTR-FM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello, welcome. ET contact, UFOs, ancient giants, remote viewing, angels, politics, economics, energy healing, and consciousness. Few people have dived as deeply into the worlds of strange phenomena, secret agendas, esoteric studies, and the origins and evolution of humanity than conscious media pioneer Regina Meredith, who spent nigh on two decades opening minds and expanding the awareness of millions of people with her highly respected interviews with leading visionaries, scientists, researchers, psychics, authors, thinkers, and groundbreakers, as co-founder and host of Conscious Media Network, The Opens Mind Show on Gaia TV, and her own free video streaming online network. And given the depth of her research and the sheer number of books she's had to read over her career, I can't even begin to imagine how she managed to cull her list of the most influential spiritual books <laughs> down to just <laughs> 10. But let's find out. Regina, welcome. Hi, Sandy. It's good to be with you virtually. Um, Me too. Yeah, what you just said, I thought I, I really couldn't do an honest calling in less than 100 or 200 books. Yeah, so yeah. just kind of. Pulled in a few favorites. Just a few favorites. You didn't mm -hmm. use any particular criteria then to cull it down. Um, well, you can see patterns in it. With the books that, mm -hmm. I'm, that I particularly appreciate, there's a definite pattern to my own uh, range of interest that you'll see because a couple of these themes come up more than once. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. Well, let's start. Book number one, and this is in no particular order. Um, no Souls on Earth, Exploring Interplanetary Past Lives by Dr. Linda Back Backman. And that was published in 2018, just a few years yes. ago. Yes. So we're just going to dive right into these books. Okay. What I really appreciate about what Dr. Backman did was as a, a psychologist, having no awareness of these subjects whatsoever, she started seeing that the people she was regressing in her psycho uh, therapy practice were actually um, popping into other times, not just other lifetimes, but they were realizing they weren't on earth when they were explaining their path uh, past to, to her. And what fascinates me about that is a much more kind of deep lineage of events that's been occurring on this planet uh, just in recent history for the last 50, 60 years, which are showing that more and more beings from other places are incarnating. Everyone has a right to take a human body in human bodies. But these people who she calls interplanetary souls um, show up quite differently on Earth and including as autistic, um, highly, highly sensitive to pretty much everything in their environment because they may come from a non-physical realm. And uh, so they're very sensitive beings that come with gifts. And she's saying we need to understand these people either are us or are among us. So it's good to know these traits so we can be welcoming and more helpful instead of making them feel ostracized or outside of society. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we've had this influx of new children coming onto the planet for the last, you know, 30, 40 years or so, um, with increasing, you know, numbers as time's gone on, many of whom are autistic or have certain challenges, you know, sensory processing disorder, etc. Um, and and once upon a time... 
I was going to say, I think we're going to see much higher percentages. And if you look at human design and gene keys, mm. um, 2027, it pops up. It also pops up in Lee Harris's work, the new work with disease. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of this planet populated with beings from elsewhere that are here to help fix some of the issues. Yes. And I think Linda says that, um, you know, once upon a time we would have visitations, but now they're actually being born here. That's it's correct. easier to change it from within. Yes. And that's going to get into another book in a bit that, well, the next book. The next book, yeah, number two. That actually feeds directly into it. Yeah, Um, and you just had this on your own book club, From Outer Space to You by Howard Menger, first published in 1959. That's my next book up. That's our next book club selection. Um, Really fun. What's interesting about that is the way people perceived contact incidents in the 1950s and 60s. This is before the notion of little alien greys and, you know, probing and uh, abductions and all that had even come to the fore at all. Now, maybe some of that was known in ancient Asian cultures, but it wasn't part of our uh, modern culture. And so what was going on at the time is beings from within our solar system, according to Howard Menger, George Damsky and others, and I won't get into all those books, I've just chosen one, These beings would come in their bell-shaped craft, meet in the woods usually, very beautiful, nicely dressed individuals and have gentlemanly and gentlewomanly contact and say, say, we've come to make contact with you because in the future you're going to be informing your brothers and sisters on earth about some of what you will learn. And it's very important because uh, change is afoot and change is necessary at this time. So Howard Mender's book, um, From Outer Space to You, chronicles his lifetime of contact and some of the things he was taught and the beings from specifically Venus, uh, Mars, and even Saturn, but predominantly Venus, very beautiful Venusians whom he helped uh, take um, physical uh, form and style in our earth reality, help them dress like humans and so forth. So they could begin blending in with society. And they had contact with a lot of people in those days, not just Howard Menger. And the messages were, well, I love the book because there are a lot of messages, but a, a lot of it had to do with the condition of our thinking process and our competitive and aggressive nature, how this would stunt our ability to live, not just in harmony, but to live longer, more healthful lives, the diets we eat, but the diets we do in here in particular, and then also about advanced technology. So Howard was guided by them throughout his life and given heads up of what was going to happen next in his own life and really saved his life a couple of times. And it's just a very very direct, credulous, charming book of early contact in modern times with these very smart people, none of whom, they were all tradesmen, none of them were in any of the professions. Um, They were tradesmen with high intelligence that were willing to take a chance on listening and then sharing the information with the public. This book is one such example. When did you come across this book? I've known about Outer Space to You for many years. I did not read it until relatively recently. And that's as a result of archivist uh, Paula Harris. She's probably the most um, key central figure in on the boots on the ground ufology research. Um, and she works with famed Jacques Vallée. They've co-written a book together. So they're dealing with governmental level UFO um, contact, but also... Uh, archival cases. She owns a lot. A lot of this material that has been forgotten about was gifted to her through a very well-known famous archive. And she has, I think she has gifted it to Rice University. So they hold a tremendous amount of data on these early contactees. But it was at a time where you weren't suspicious. There, There was no agenda when they were using what we now would call psychotronic technology, for example, which is like yeah, there are sites dedicated to it. They're trying to control your mind. They were showing her, him in the day, these technologies can be used for the good. And it also, and we're looking at it, trying to help people open their minds and their awareness so they can take on new concepts. Now today, that's pure evil when you say psychotronic technology. And they did put the warning out. If this is used against you, this is a very dangerous technology. We're not doing that. 
So you, you get a lot of the early understandings of the technologies that were going to be hitting Earth over the next hundred years, but without the suspicion and misuse just yet. So it's fascinating mm. to me. I was checking the book out earlier, and uh, on Amazon, it says uh, this work is in the public domain in the United States of America, not Amazon, on Goodreads, and possibly other nations within the United States. You may freely copy and distribute this work. So mm -hmm. apparently you can find free copies of it. Yes. Around. Yeah. Yes. So. So that anyway, that, that that's then. the beginning of the setup of the message that goes later into Linda Backman's work, which is these beings did apparently come. And there is some evidence Eisenhower was meeting with one of them for a year and a half in the Pentagon. They did come. They tried to help us understand if we keep the warring military industrial model alive, it will ultimately bankrupt the world. But decisions were made from high up. If we do what you say, it will bankrupt us now. So no decisions were ever made toward the end that they recommended. The, the information on dietary, um, you know, preferential dietary needs of the human body were ignored in favor of, you know, the pharmaceutical, big pharma, you know, big ag and so forth. So we know how that story ended. So I, when I'm doing lectures now, I talk about the beginning with these gentlemanly Venusians trying to lay gentle messages down to what we're going to be seeing happen. We're already seeing it happen and it's going to happen in greater numbers because now they're incarnating as us. They don't think like us, their emotional bodies are really quite different. And so what appears to be autistic might just be a different way of functioning in society in the future. Yeah. PMA Chatwater talked about these kids as the sixth root race. Interesting. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I agree. And that's where we're headed and for good reason. Yeah. So book number three, I'm still with you. Communicate, oh. heal and involve with your loved one on the other side by professional psychic medium and teacher Sherry Dillard, published in 2020. Yes. Sher Sherry Dillard is a very modest woman. Um, she was working with clients early on. She discovered her abilities as a medium accidentally as a teenager and even younger. And um, it was quite a while before she felt comfortable actually sharing with people what she was seeing. Well, that was decades ago. So now she freely shares. And I think what's so beautiful about this book is the reminder because we, we've all, I was interested when I first interviewed her a year or two ago, it was because people were dying of COVID and people were terrified of death and of losing people. And as a result, I thought, well, if we understood they're right here and this is just barely even a transition when you leave this form, which we'll get to in a moment, into the other realm. So treat the person as though they're still there. You can't touch them, but you can love them and chat with them and so forth. And Sherry talks about how that world works with ours and she was put to the test by a couple of really grumpy uh, people who, who were skeptics. And she won them over. And this was really the beginning of her coming out in public she, when she was saying, well, look at the, you just hit a, a, a wine stain on the cushion of your couch by turning it over, did you not? And the person said, what? <laughs> so she was very um, efficient and specific in the way she is able to communicate with these beings. And there, some of the messages that have come through of late, uh, many young people are committing suicide, mm -hmm. you know, is what they're feeling is having passed over from despair, not finding a place for them in the world anymore, not being able to fit with the economic systems and potentials for employment aren't there in the same way anymore. And um, really some beautiful stories between parents and deceased children. So it's just a really good book on all round understanding of how the deceased work with us and how we can open any one of us without a medium to working with them and staying in relationship beyond the grave. Mm, worth having, worth reading. Mm -hmm. Book number four, The Art of Contemplation, yes. A Gentle Path to Wholeness and Prosperity, by Richard Rudd, published in... And, and you're such a big part of this story, Sandy, because um, we were talking, you and I were talking privately, and it's like, maybe it's time to go down uh, the gene key hole. <laughs> and so 
at that time, Richard had written this book, um, Art of Contemplation, that he was starting to really um, find to have great value beyond anything having to do with the Gene Keys series, which is, of course, a beautiful body of work in its own right for people who haven't read it yet. But what I liked about this, this slim volume was the grace, truth, and directness of it. Because the way he poses that we come to understanding, tapping into, and even resolving some of the deeper subconscious issues, which many people know if they've been to some kind of therapy, you can sit on a bench and chat all day long. And you might never really bring it up for true review, the thing that might you might be in the grip of subconsciously that's causing whatever kind of behavior. And this book is so... I just think so beautiful in guiding people into the art of contemplation. And as he said, don't try to make a quick fix. This is something that you go deeper and then you sit with. You think, hmm, I feel that. I, I'm, I'm seeing something I hadn't really noticed before. I hadn't remembered that before. And you keep going through this very gentle kind of Zen process until you get to the bottom of the thing. And he said, never try to rush the thing, right? You've read it, so add your own part to it. That's what uh, I think well, gracious. Yeah. You know, the words you used, uh, grace and um, et cetera. I mean, to me, those are words that Richard Rudd seems to embody. Um, I think he so. has He has qualities about him that, you know, you just trust the man because, uh, yeah. There's no sides to him. And I love, I love all of his work. I'm currently Please. working my way through the dream arc. Slowly, slowly. I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> I did give myself a year to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of this requires actual engagement and contemplation. You can't just yeah. rush through and memorize a few bullets and think you've understood anything. And that's why I appreciate his work as well. And again, it's not overwhelming. It's very experiential, slim yes. little volume, which is wonderful if you're ready to take the journey of going inside. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've always preferred contemplation to meditation. It's easier for me. You know, I yes. don't want to sit and try to get out of my mind. I like what's in my mind and I like reviewing it. <laughs> Yes, I do too. And for me, I mean, everyone meditates differently. I meditate mostly to just kind of tap in and get information. Um, I don't do it so much for contemplation. It's like, I'll meditate to say, am I missing something? Show me what I might be missing and just, boom, get a little download and I'm out of there. <laughs> so I'm like you, I far prefer contemplation. Yeah, yeah. So book number five, The Golden Star, A Mystic Crescendo in 12 Visions by Jean Michaud. He's the professor of anthropology at a, a, a French university. And that book, maybe he was, I don't know if he's still alive. That book was published in 1948. He's long dead. He's long dead. I have my own ideas that I probably shouldn't share here, but I have my own ideas as to who Jean Michaud has been in other lifetimes, oh. who he is. Yes, because I've read a lot of hermetic material. He was the founder of the modern, um, they call it Order of the Hidden Masters, and they don't mean masters as in S&M. They mean people who have learned how to master knowledge and mastery over their minds and emotions a bit. So the OHM, he was the modern day founder of that in the 1940s and wrote a series of books on mysticism. And I started looking at the language between Hermetic Lessons his books, and some other things like uh, the Revelations Revelations by John. And you start seeing a theme of this incredibly beautiful entity, the way in which they engage, this man engages with the other realms is extremely visceral, powerful, visual, descriptive. And that's what this book, The Golden Star, is. As a, a student of Hermetics in the early years, they say, if you can, take the time to read this book by Jean Michaud. And what it is, is it's the journey of two little children with an old master. And they say, would you like to see what is above and what is below Earth? Would you like to see how these realms ex exist and what their purpose is? So he takes these two little children into the other dimensions and realms. And you're talking about 
he starts with the lower realms, which are quite frightening to them, thunderous and, you know, murderous and so forth, and then takes them up into the highest realms. Um, and, and again, in the hermetic uh, parlance, there are three realms above, three realms below, and earth is the middle realm. And the reason I like this as well is because on earth, my own understanding and my own experience, this is something I, I like to chat about, is that we're all very happy to say, oh, I met with my guides. You know, I could feel them touch me on the shoulder and they gave me the most wonderful messages. We love connecting with the higher realms and don't understand how often we're also connecting with the lower realms. We like the higher realms. That's delicious. Lower yeah. realms is quite inconvenient and uncomfortable. So he, delineate, he he describes the nature of these realms as we move through them. And this is all a matter of resonance. The more sublime our own thoughts and the more peace in our own being, the more we're connecting in with the higher realms and these wonderful angelic beings, guides. And then, of course, if we go into despair, we're connecting with lower realms. And so it's very interesting to see the way this glorious mind has laid out the realms surrounding Earth. Have you read uh, several of his other books? Yes. Occult Enigmas is one. Oh, I did a terrible, naughty thing. <laughs> you stole it from a library. <laughs> no, I borrowed it. I forgot to return it and I paid a $94 late fee. Oh, wow. But the book, if you could find it, is like $1,200 or something. Um, there, and it hadn't been checked out in decades, so I didn't feel too guilty. <laughs> a little guilty, not too guilty. So anyway, yeah, and uh, Cult Enigmas and then his lectures through the Hermetics primarily. He's, he's written quite a number of books. He had written. But again, I, I would encourage anyone that can connect with any of his works, if you can, this is just a, a very beautiful mind. Mm. Well, I can Explain hear clamoring hmm. now to ask me to ask you, well, who was he? Who do you think he was? This is my position. There is a being that goes by the name, and I won't say the name, I shouldn't do that, but by a specific name that is threaded throughout hermetic lessons. And a couple times a year you hear from this being and they talk about the Elysian fields, for example, or something, and you think, it takes your breath away. You just, I'm ready to leave this planet just to be in these fields um, because it's so beautifully descriptive. He is that, I figured out that he was that being, but who I think he also was because of the very juicy, deep description of Revelations, which the Hermetic uh, story of Revelations uh, is nothing like anything I've ever read. It's both beautiful, uplifting, frightening, everything all at once, all depending on your level of consciousness. And so I believe he was the disciple John. And in this life, he was John. And I believe he is that other entity that does has goes by another name entirely that has written these lessons and put them together. So I, I believe he was the original John of Revelations. That's my belief. We only pose it as such. But there is a not just a great similarity, almost identical match in the styles of writing. Mm, interesting. So book number six, Anastasia, mm -hmm. The Ring and oh. Sea, the series, book one, Vladimir Mega, translated mm -hmm. by Marianne Schwartz. And he started that series in 1996 after meeting Anastasia in 1995, just the year before. Yes, that's all a mystery. That part's a mystery. Um, I knew, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, Vladimir Megre has a Russian to English translator. I've interviewed him. His name was right on the tip of my tongue and now it's gone. Anyway, Shroshkin, Leonid Shroshkin. I think that might be in the Gaia archives. I interviewed him when I still had Conscious Media Network, Leonid Shroshkin. I asked him, I said, what is, what's Vladimir Megre all about? He said, Regina, he said, I've got to tell you, he's a businessman. And he's a normal Russian guy, businessman. And I said, how could he have written such sublime, simple, almost childlike, innocent, sublime information about living? He said, well, Anastasia, I said, did he meet someone, this beautiful blonde out in the deep in the Siberian forest? And he said, uh, 
I don't know who he met, but he met some women with vast amounts of knowledge. We know that. I talked to another woman later who lived in Siberia and had heard of these Vadrus people. And she said, the rumor was there, Vladimir had met these young women in a commune outside of Moscow who were raised kind of like in a Waldorfian way. The whole community raised the children in a very highly spiritually developed and holistic manner. He, she thinks he got the information from these women in the commune. We don't know where he got it, but the series shows us a way of integrating with nature and spirit and one another and the means of pairing up as couples in terms of the um, starting at a very young age, the games that people play together very healthfully, boys and girls and so yeah. forth. And the artistry that comes up through, you know, the mating process and um, then going on through the birth process of the human and how to set up the whole thing is around a domain of kin. All of the nine books are, are really focused on the domain of kin. There, there are sidebar stories that are quite interesting, like how we could set up the ideal prison system in the world is just stunningly beautiful. And it makes you cry because you can see people would have a chance again if we set our prisons up like this. I think that was book number seven. And so all of these books delineate a way of living with each other and among each other for absolutely perfect nutrition, um, wonderful interactions with family members. The young couple goes away after the wedding and the family comes in and they each are given a hectare of land, which is two acres. They build their little home for them, plant the trees that they've already chosen, the garden they've chosen, the whole community sets them up for life and they pass this on generation after generation. And this was supposedly credited to the ancient Vedrus a very private sect of remaining individuals in the Siberian taiga forest. And um, so I, I found them and most everybody that's read them finds them absolutely magical reading lots of food for thought about how we could have a healthier, kinder, gentler uh, society. But he has, he's written nine books and that's it. Nobody's heard from him again. No, he's, he, he met these women and he was tapped to do this one thing and he brought this in the world. And there are uh, there it's called the ringing cedar series. And there are people in Russia in particular, there are a few ringing cedar groups where they have done this. They've collected land. They live in extended family. It almost looks Amish, you know, old dress and everything. Everyone can in interpret and do this kind of thing the way they want. But the point is that they, live on the land with each other, help each other, grow their own food to the largest extent possible, raise their children with a, a, a type of education that's absolutely fascinating. In fact, Leonid and I were to have gone to this place in Russia where one of the school ring, Ringing Cedar schools is. These kids are phenomenal. And the system of education is a model for, in many ways, what should be done with our future educational system but these big fires started right there so we I actually didn't get there I was in I was in uh uh not Ser Serbia Bosnia. oh Croatia I was in Croatia at the time and I never got any further over yeah. <laughs> so anyway it's it's just fascinating when we look at this is a way to help raise our children and model a future if you just take a few things from it starting with the first the first book about how she taught him to put the seeds that you're going to plant under your tongue to absorb your DNA and information. So your portion of the garden grows, that plant grows with those enhanced nutrients for your body. Just that little thing alone is worth not reading nine books for. You know, I had a, when those books came out, I was talking to a friend of mine who had a Russian gardener and we were talking about these books and she said her, Russian gardener had said to her, when you move into a new home, do not touch the vegetation, the garden. Do not do anything to it because after six months, you will find that that garden is producing plants that resonate with you. Yes, for entanglement. Hmm. Yeah. I love it. That's a beautiful message. I love that. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm reaching to the choir here. So oh, Harry said, how do I get these books? I think you can find them on Amazon. Um, I think they, they have a site. Is it called ringingcedars.com? I can't uh, search right now, but you, they're not hard to find. Mm. And I would get all nine of them. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Me. And you'll be delighted. <laughs> so book number seven. Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, the inside story of the world's best documented UFO incident by Nick yes. Pope, 2014. Nick Pope worked for the Ministry of Defense in England, and he was assigned to the desk that had to take in the calls about UFO incidents and then track all the history. What happened? When, when did the first call come in, et cetera, et cetera. This book is the one I recommend to people when they say, um, if UFOs exist, how come we don't see them? How come the government hasn't told us about them? <laughs> so that's kind that's so standard. I mean, anybody's brother can ask that question. This book is the perfect book to give someone that doesn't ha have a background in ufology because it was an incident that happened between an American and British base. And so you have the reporting happening from both sides through the chain of command locally and on up in the militaries. And then what you see is how quickly the cover-ups begin. The, it's really the anatomy of a cover-up of a well-documented and observed UFO incident. So simply put, I mean, it, it's very interesting as a read itself, as each character comes in. And I've interviewed a few characters, actually, that were present for that, mm. uh, including, you know, the main man that they speak of, Jim Penniston. He's written a book yeah. on it, too. And so I think that if you have a curiosity as to why you're not hearing about it from our governments and why, quote, disclosure, they talk about will likely never, ever happen. It really already has through these other individuals. Um, this book is a really fine one to read. It very well documented. And he's he's not a lightweight. He's not a, a wing nut in ufology. It's interesting how many series are appearing on um, streaming sites, Netflix, uh, you know, Amazon Prime, etc. That uh, with the documentaries now that are really looking at, you know, Roswell and some of the famous cases and bringing well, up a lot more information. Well, yeah, that was, that's all by release. That's all by design release. It started in 2017 with the New York times, uh, tic tac, tic tac, uh, video that they showed and people starting to ask questions and then whole cast of characters. And I won't bore you with their names, got involved with a Congress to set, establish a committee to look into the phenomena. They know full well what this phenomenon is. They have, they've been dealing with this, for many, many decades, it's all been covered over. They, there's massive archive of information in the military about what these beings are, what their craft is like. We back engineered their technology, which is the story, the main story that came out of Roswell is the amount of back engineered technology. And that would be um, Day After Roswell is a wonderful book that documented Roswell by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Philip Corso. Um, and he was part of the team that was given the artifacts by general, forgot the general's name at the time in the day, 1961. So it's 13 years or so later, given the artifacts. And he's the one that gave all these out to the military industrial complex to Rockwell, to Bell um, in these different corporations to look at and discern what, could this thing be? And many, many different artifacts were turned into what we know now as modern day technologies, including uh, fiber optics, laser, Kevlar, and all that uh, mm -hmm. is said by Corsa to have come out of the crashes uh, in 1947. Mm. Wow. That's Number just eight. a side book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number like I eight. said, we have to do 200. <laughs> the physics of God. How the deepest theories of science explain religion and how the deepest truths of religion explain science by Joseph Selby, published just last year. And I love this book. I was going to say, you've already done this one, Sandy. So uh, I'm sure everyone already knows about it through you. Um, I think what really the reason I also and you turned me on to his work, um, just interviewed him on his other book about the brain breakthrough, mm -hmm. the limits of the brain. And then um, doing another interview with him on Gaia uh, next month, 
on the physics of God. But what I like is it's a really good um, kind of primer on the nature of reality. I've read many, many books on this, but I like the directness and the way he goes about it in simple language. And I'm so grateful that you turned me on to it so I can turn other people on to it. Honestly, yeah, it really does just continue to reinforce the notion that there is nothing here except fields of mind and perception. And that's almost incomprehensible, but that actually leads us, that will lead us to book number eight, actually. Nine, the next one. Nine, no. uh, Michael. Oh, no. My list, I think, is different than yours. What I put in is, do you have Michael Talbot beyond the quantum there? I'm going to go with that because he he kind of uh, follows up this story. Okay. Just before we go to Michael <coughs> Talbot then, um, what I love about Joseph's book is it's simple, it's clear, it's direct, it's credible, love the science, doesn't put anybody off. And I say to a lot of my young friends who are waking up and saying, tell me which books to read, leapfrog them all, leapfrog them all. Go straight to this one there. That's a great starting place. I agree with you because the next book we're talking about, Beyond the Quantum, Mm. that was my introduction to quantum physics 40 years ago with Michael Talbot, who was a genius man of the day. He also, um, what was that other famous one? Holographic um, Uh, Universe. He also wrote... He also wrote Holographic Universe. And that was, so I was, uh, had a baby and I was a news anchor and just starting to open my mind and explore. And I came across Beyond the Quantum. And that was my first touch with quantum reality. And this is what's exciting that we're doing this right now. Yesterday, did you notice the Nobel Prize went to three, in science, a Nobel Prize went to three physicists. Yes proving entanglement you know the whole yes, einstein yes, spooky yes, action yes, at a distance yes. and dean radin and everything yes um so a team of scientists american austrian and french uh jointly won the nobel prize for proving quantum entanglement so it, it's just lovely that it's being recognized at these levels now it's not it's not just a theory there's no it's not a theory anymore it's a reality and so they've proven it. And interestingly, the American scientist has said, I have no idea how this works, but it works. And that's interesting. And the reason is because none of them studied consciousness. Yeah. You, but you know who did? Bill Tiller. Oh, Bill, Bill Tiller did. Bill about entanglement a long time yes, ago. Yes, yeah. he did. Mm-hmm. So these guys don't know why it works, but it works. Yeah. We and know why it works. Yeah. yeah. So beyond the quantum, we were talking about an early influence in life. I would suggest now, uh, it's a lovely book, but I would agree with you uh, for anybody that wants to start learning about the nature of reality and its importance. I mean, to me, that's really one of my greatest loves in life is understanding the nature of reality and mind. And if we understand, if we came to understand and could just for a minute, get our mind around the notion that the actual physical mass in our body in a human body fits on the pin of a head the the head of a pin now that's very very difficult for people to get their minds around but when we can dive down that rabbit hole and begin understanding all of this is an agreed upon reality of a very limited nature in one limited dimension and if we understood that we could understand that where I'm sitting right now in this chair could have an entire other universe dancing and interacting with itself in this tiny space. Mm. And we're, it's all these different realities are interpenetrating different beings, interactions with each other are penetrating the very space we're sitting in. We're not aware of them. They're not aware of us. We're not aware that we ourselves, even though we can touch ourselves are nothing but light. There's nothing there. It's all what we as beings have chosen to engage with and believe. So I think that's really important because it gets back to some of the original material we're talking about. 
the nature of our thoughts and emotions and how they entangle together and how we express them in the world is literally, there is no way you can get around it totally, our own creation and responsibility. Yeah. There's That's it. That's the end of the story. If you hate your life, you have to look at why did you create it this way? How did you create it? By understanding quantum mechanics, you can depersonalize it and say, oh my God, yes, I have a program that came in you know, a subconscious program that came in from my ancestry or from another lifetime and I've been buying it and wow, I don't have to. So I, I love quantum mechanics for that reason. Yeah. So I agree with you. Go right to physics of God, bypass, unless you're really into it, then go back and read Beyond the Quantum by Michael Talbot. Yeah, yeah. So book number 10 then uh, on this list, because you did have two lists, we'll briefly touch on that, um, is A World Beyond by Ruth Montgomery, published in 1971. When yes. did you read Ruth? In the 80s. In the 80s. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's when I was first exposed to really on a deeper level, the notion of reincarnation and such. And Joseph Selby in this, our recent talk, we're just saying we can't understand how any human being would make sense of their life without an understanding of reincarnation. It's Then it's just a crapshoot. It's random. And of course, I don't believe that. Neither does he, neither do most of us. Yeah. So Ruth Montgomery, um, I, I found just, it was so, so fascinating. She was a, a very distinguished journalist in, in the 1960s. Um, correspondent in Washington, D.C., uh, and in the era of Kennedy. And there was a well-known celebrity medium named Arthur Ford, who was her friend. And Arthur died and started reaching through to Ruth. And she started a different kind of journalism. <laughs> she was a different kind, suddenly a different kind of correspondent. She realizes her hands starting to write things that her mind isn't thinking about. So she became um, a very skilled automatic writer and became very open intuitively. And Arthur Ford, after he passed, came through and started telling her what the transition is like, what he found on the other side, what the nature of the beings were, were what they were doing with their time. And I remember one particular person he talked about Again, going back to quantum reality, resonance, entanglement, and all of this, the woman had spent a large part of her life ironing clothing, just ironing. And he said, he just watches her. She's, she's on the other side doing what she knows to do, what's most familiar with her. She was on the other side, no longer embodied, just ironing. Where other people go on to say, yeah, this is great. Show me what you've got. I want to learn everything I can. And, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and yet there are other people who don't do any of the above. I mean, I've read many other books and had my own regression experiences. And some people don't go to any of those places. They're just kind of in a bubble, suspended. So there are a lot of realities after we leave the body. But he was talking about the most natural and common reality for most human beings. Mm -hmm. I would say in Linda Backman's parlance, certainly most earth-based souls in particular. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really fun. It's just fascinating to see what he found over there. So um, that's just a classic. Um, and I, I would encourage anyone to read it. It's, it's, it's not a big book and just to read it for fun. And also to get some understanding of how the mind how the programming continues beyond the grave. Yeah. Now, didn't she um, predict or say that America would have a walk-in as president in the 1992 or 1996 election? And I think she later revised that and said 2008. Obama? Well, um, you know, anybody that's into kind of conspiracy theory that's watching this certainly understands about start digging around about what are said to be some of the potential backgrounds of Obama. It's like he came out of nowhere, so to speak, you know? So, yeah. you know, it's funny because if you go on Wikipedia and you read about Ruth Montgomery, they talk about every prediction she ever did. Some of them from Arthur Ford that never came true. And yes. I think it's really dangerous 
to be looking to the psychic realm on any level for predictions in general, because it has the, the time, time and the nature of time being nonlinear has far too many moving parts for something to be determined exactly. Some psychics are good and they do have accurate um, hits on things. But oftentimes, it, it takes only one factor out of a thousand to change a timeline and to change a reality from manifesting. So they made fun of her a lot in Wikipedia. She said this, this, and this, and none of it ever happened. As far as Obama, I would say he was certainly the most enigmatic character that ever entered the scene because really so little was known about him. Yeah. And he has so many stories about his his past and his original father and on and on. So, yeah, that's a wrap. That's a rabbit hole. Mm, Maybe. Absolutely. So originally you had two other books on your list. Uh, very briefly, we'll, I'll ask you why. One is this sold world, S-O-U-L, apostrophe D, <laughs> The Rise of Consciousness by William Disdale, which was published in 2018. And I'm curious because I've looked at his website um, he's published this himself. How did you come across it? He reached out to me. He reached out to you. He watches my shows. So he reached out and said, well, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but I've written a little novel and it has to do with parallel realities. And I've been studying quantum mechanics and all these things for a lot of years. And I kind of put it together in a little story. And he said, you know, I'm in, I can send it to you. Where are you? I'm in Dublin. I said, funny. I'm going to be in Dublin in a couple of weeks. I'm going to Ireland. I said, I'll meet with you. Let's meet at this hotel lobby and have a cup of tea. And so um, he handed me the book and I said, I'll let you know. I, I didn't expect to really enjoy it that much. I didn't know anything. I had no expectation. So I started reading the book. I thought, oh my God, what a fun ride and story. Now this, you'll see a lot of these, there's kind of, um, there's a thread. Uh, certainly Ruth Montgomery, um, Jean Michaud, Anastasia, Sherry Dillard. These are stories. And I'm myself, my life's work is to read books and help people tell their story. But I'm a storyteller and I appreciate stories because our mind engages with the story in a completely different way that engages with data, raw data. And I appreciate raw data. I mean, certainly looking at some of these books on quantum mechanics, you have to be comfortable with, you know, some experiments and data. But in the end, I think the way humans learn, and this actually was, I believe there was a TED talk on it and they had done experiments on it. We best learn through story because it engages all aspects of the brain and throws the imagination in with it to help create the picture and the story in our own selves. And so what he's done is he has this wonderful, thrilling, fun story about a, a British man who is has developed a portal, a portal machine that you can leap through and go into another dimension. And so of course the government agencies are trying to steal it from him, they're after him, you get a little bit of kind of murder <laughs> and all that, but you also get them flipping through to other dimensions that he has created or seen in his own mind that are more avatar-like, but not avatar, more utopian, but not exactly. They're really beautiful. It's kind of beautiful thoughts and ideas. All that are based on a lot of the things we know about the nature of reality, um, new technology that is emerging. Um, and it's all done in this adventure tale. And so if someone wants to, if someone really enjoys reading novels, for example, but also wants to kind of catch the wave of how the mind works, how parallel realities work, how past lives work with parallel realities in relationships with others, that's all unfolded in this wonderful adventure story. So it's just a fun way to get some knowledge. So a good read. Okay. And the other book was conversations with disease book one the energetics of the new human soul the harris and diana edwards um why was this on your list okay so i just interviewed leon this actually at guy it won't come out for a few months i'll tell you why he sent it to me and for to do a read so uh i read it and what i saw was hmm 
Okay, so for years, I talked. I've talked to the Z's, right? Done interviews with them and such. And there was a place I was hoping to get them to go in times past that they would not do. They would not indulge me. And I understood they have their sense of what's going on and their vision of things that I don't have in timing. <coughs> and this book actually starts going there into all of it. They're much more bold, much more adamant. They're much more boom. And so as an example, I, <coughs> I think it's good to have a heads up on the timing of things and what's happening in a universal sense, waves of consciousness. And so they really went into the timing of the events to happen over the next um, seven, 10 to 20 and 50 to 100 years what we should see by way of societal development, politics, and so forth. So they get very bold in this book. And so I think it's worth reading just to get the Z's perspective and heads up because one of the things we see again is 2027. Because I said, so in the interview with them a couple of weeks ago, I said, so what you're <clears throat> describing is kind of the darkness before the dawn. Yeah. And um, they said, well, no, not exactly. You're not there yet. <laughs> and I said, we're not there yet. Excuse me, I have a tickle. <clears throat> anyway, he said, no, that darkness before dawn is 2024 to 2027. And then things start switching is when also they said the new humans start coming in great saturations in 2027. So I think that's good to know. It's going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to mute my mic. I have to cough for a second, Sandy. That's okay. While you're doing that, I'll just uh, share that uh, certainly people I know who have had a look ahead have said that the next 10 years are going to be very, very tough. Very tough. Yes. Well, they, um, they lay that out very clearly. More chaos, more what we would perceive of as darkness. So my interview with them on Gaia was really good. We got into some other areas, but I think this little book, it's just a little book, um, is really good on just kind of pounding home some basic themes. So, so let's not assume we're just going to meditate this stuff away. We are in a descending cycle of consciousness and chaos for the moment that's going to give birth to the new. And you, it never happens any other way. You can't have birth without death. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that brings us to the end of your 10 12 books. Um, <laughs> you have really successfully straddled, uh, you know, the worlds of mainstream and alternative media. Um, and you've told some of your story in your book, Accidentally on Purpose, Tripping yeah. Through Life with Regina, 2018. You know, where, I mean, you talked about Michael Talbot's book being really pivotal for you, but, mm -hmm. you know, you've done sports TV, you've done, you know, vegetarian cooking, you've, you know, produced documentaries. At what point do you recall the light going on? Um, the light went on when I was, during the time I was a news anchor and um, I was uh, a, young, a young mother, um, I'd had experiences before that that were kind of phenomenal in nature, but I didn't give them any thought. That's not unusual. But then um, at that time, it started where I met this psychic in Sacramento, California, who was, she had her own uh, show on the Wednesday afternoon news. She was on the radio stations. She did readings for legislators at Capitol, down at the Capitol. And she took a liking to me, took me under her wing for some reason, I didn't understand. She wanted me kind of as her protege, and I didn't know why. Well, I had gone to a class of hers, a suite of classes she did in the evening on phenomena. It could go anywhere from past lives to color therapy to psychometry, reading the materials with your hands and getting information from them. And I wasn't aware of it, but uh, everything came pretty easily for me. And so I was just, you know, I was just having fun. And so as she brought me more into her world, I started learning much, much more information because we had, we became friends. And I have to say, again, this is one of those things, and I will not name the person, 
but she told me years into our friendship, she said she doesn't talk about it, who she had been in a previous incarnation and that she was, and she was continuing it. To make a, make a long story short, she told me she had been uh, Madame Blavatsky. And if you saw a picture of her, if you listened to her, she was Madame Blavatsky. She had all that knowledge and she looks exactly like her now. She didn't when she was young. She grew into that. And so this is a very knowledgeable theos woman uh, schooled in theosophy. And so I, she that was my closest friend. And she, I was being kind of tutored by her. Then I came into contact with the one in the book named Linda. And that's when my relationship with the beings in my own soul group started. And they started giving us a tremendous amount of knowledge, cosmically, earth knowledge and otherwise, including future things that did turn out. And um, this was a very uh, austere group. You could ask what you wanted. You would never be given what you didn't understand. But we were given a tremendous amount of information. So all this happened in my early 30s. So I, it was just like a springboard into, because I'm very curious and open-minded, a springboard of areas. They had talked to us about how the earth in fact, it's on my site, the origin story they gave is a little different from what anyone's heard elsewhere, but it's the one I most strongly resonated with. This made me look at humanity in a whole different way. And I've talked to Linda Backman about this even. So I, it just was uh, the beginning of everything for me. And so I started reading everything I could. I started doing past life regressions. I started doing them on others, other people, and I just couldn't learn enough about the nature of the unseen world. So that's how it started for me. And it got to the point where you weren't happy doing what you were doing in mainstream television. They wouldn't no. let you tackle some of the subjects you wanted. So you yeah. started Conscious Media Network. I did. The only thing I had done prior to that is I was able to get a series uh, on of psychic phenomena on the nighttime news during Sweeps Week when I was a news anchor. I had a very very trusting, open-minded news director, which is very rare. And he said, go for it. Let's see what happens. And that's when I met Russell Targ. And Russell Targ yeah. was running the remote viewing program out of Stanford Research Institute. I met him in the 80s and did a story on him when he came back from Russia right with those famous experiments. Nobody knew anything about this at that time. So I, 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 did, I had already gotten some of it out into mainstream, but that was a long time ago. So I left PBS and um, wanted to, I didn't want to just talk about vegetarian diet anymore, my cooking show. I wanted to talk about the things that mattered to me that I'd been developing over the last 30 years prior to that. Yeah. That's this, what we do, what we're doing right now. That's always been my passion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you do it very well. I thank you. So do you. <laughs> thank you. So, um, there's a you you run your own book club, uh, nothing mm -hmm. like this book club. So tell mm -hmm. us about your book club. Well, it's eclectic, as you just like my list here. You know, it's eclectic. It's whatever, um, whatever it seems like, wherever the world's going at a given moment. If there's a little bit of something here or there in the news, or if it just seems like my group of people just needs a little bit more adventure and fun, I choose the books accordingly. So it doesn't have any um, rhyme or reason for the way the books are chosen other than more or less either some requests by people every now and then and just my own instincts of what I think people will find enjoyable. And again, I am much more ordered, I think, toward story than most people in this field because that's what I recall the most. When people tell their stories, it sticks. It's Data true. sticks to an extent, but it's not as, it's not as enjoyable for mm -hmm. one academic material to me is not as enjoyable and it doesn't uh, you pick up a few gems, but it doesn't stick as easily as a story. So a lot of my books have story. Yeah. And you've also got now your own online uh, video streaming interviews as well. Yes. yes since 2017 or 18. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a lot of interviews there, but a lot of people don't know that um, they think I only work for Gaia. Yeah. But I have an entire archive of parallel videos that are done like this via Zoom uh, on my own channel under my own name, reginameredith.com. And that's all free. There's yeah, 
yeah, no paywall there. And that's how what we did with Conscious Media Network. To me, it's very important if there's a time that needs new thinking, I just, I'm not going to charge for those interviews. Now, if they want to join the book club, our live events and so forth, people are, I love the support. They can join in. Um, but my interviews I've always made free. Yeah. And you can, you can jump ahead, can't you? I mean, when you've got a schedule at something like Gaia, um, sometimes you have to wait months doing it yourself. You can plan it whenever you want. That's what I often do is I'll bring them on my site. A lot of people you see at Gaia, those are people that are yeah. my friends and authors that I know. Um, I'll do an interview on my site and then I'll say, hey, we're going to go on to their next book or another you know, part of this story when I meet you again at Gaia. So people can get it on both sites, whichever they prefer. Yeah, yeah. So what is next for you? Well... Um, I've just, I'm trying to get organized enough so that I, my time is carved out to do it. All the principal people are on board. I'm going to be doing a documentary. I love documentary work and I gave it up a long time ago to do this job. And so I'm going back into the documentary world, um, and doing one on, um, a very misunderstood, marginalized a historical character in the world of science, Royal Raymond Reif. Oh, with Stephen Ross? Good. You know you know what he's doing in his books. Yes. And I had asked, Stephen and I have been close friends for many years, and I had asked him about uh, eight or ten years ago, when do I get to do the documentary on this? And he did not. Um, he said, don't do it. It's too dangerous. There are too many interests out there. And so... It's like, hey, can't do it without you, so I'm not doing it. So when he published his newest books, yeah. um, I said, Stephen, is it time? And he said, yes, let's do it. So I have um, I've arranged the crew. You know, all the bids are in now. And now we have to go through the horrible part, the fundraising part, the not fun part, which we'll do through GoFundMe or the, uh, one of the alternatives. And then once that's done, we go into production very quickly because I'm not using any, I'm doing the producing. So I don't have to wait on any other editor, editors. And you can work very fast if you have control over the project. And so I think it's going to be a really beautiful story. Good, good. A story that needs to be. It needs to be told because all that's possible right now and it's being kept from us. And that's why I want to do the story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, my last question to you. Um, the late best-selling author, and I don't ask this of everyone, but it, only when it feels appropriate, Jorge Luis Borges said that when writers die, they become books, which is, after all, not too bad an incarnation. If that is true, what kind of book would you become? A book that has a lot of magic and wonder to it. A book that takes people on, I, I think, just a beautiful journey of the imagination of what's possible. Um, that's my show, Open Minds. To me, I'm all everything about my life is looking for what's possible. Can we go to the next octave and the beauty within it? It has to have beauty. If it doesn't have beauty and connection and love, I'm not interested in it. Well, it has to be a multimedia book, doesn't it? It does. It would have to be a multimedia book. I'm a butterfly. I use my little antennas out there exploring around to see what's new and next. <laughs> Regina, it's always fun to talk to you. And oh, I'm so delighted you. that you could join us today. Is there anything that you want to share with our viewers before you go? I think it's just very important um, what just what Lee Harris's Z said and such that it's very important for us to understand when it comes down to it right now, the absolute greatest assets we have, people are worrying about the markets. I know you're having troubles in England. We're having troubles here. Oh my God, I can't afford to buy a house anymore. That the only real asset we have is each other. And to understand in these hard times, to start thinking in these terms, so-and-so is going to be vulnerable so-and-so is going to be stronger at this time. How can we help each other? How can we collaborate? How can we make space? How can we support one another to go through what is going to be a turbulent and chaotic period of history that we have all chosen to incarnate into? 
We chose it to be part of it, to create this new reality. So the notion of supporting each other, loving each other, feeding each other, so that we can be here in enough strength to plant the seeds for the future cultures that we ourselves, ourselves will incarnate back into is critical, but we can't do it as islands. We can't do it alone. We need each other. Very well said. Gina Meredith, thank you so much for adding your 10 best list to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's Library of Records. Thank you, Sandy. It's been a joy. If you're interested in fearless interviews on esoteric studies, health discoveries, politics, economic secret agendas, and, well, just about everything that's been hidden from us for so long, check out Regina's website at reginameredith.com. Dot com and her open mind show on Gaia TV and get her book it's a rollicking read that's it for this week I'm Sandy Sedgbeer and I'll be back at the same time next week with another 10 best interview for the No BS Spiritual Book Club till then it's goodbye from me and thank you Regina thank you Sandy goodbye till next time <laughs>